Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Kairos Partnerships. Bob, how's it going today? It is going well. It is cold, but sunny in Boise, Idaho. So wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So it's interesting. We've yeah. got, uh, you know, we're marching real, real quickly towards Christmas, which I don't know about you, but it feels like it's kind of snuck up on me again this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, uh, my wife has gone out of town. She is in Uganda for 20 years, uh, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Where did that come? for 20 days? And so it's like, yeah, the, the kids have all gone feral. The house has a funky smell to it. Like, yeah, we're creeping up on Christmas, but I'd say we're slouching towards Bethlehem. <laughs> slouching right towards now, Bethlehem. You know? the, the donkey is no longer moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, I was about to have like an yeah. intervention. there would be like, Bob, 20 years probably means something a little bit different than what you think. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. No, luckily she is returning to us at some point and we will all shout hallelujah yes but uh, yeah we're we're moving towards christmas it's coming uh but i think her returning is going to be the best gift this yeah. year <laughs> that sounds good so yeah we we had kind of a very exciting and very interesting i mean we always have interesting opportunities as guys that are get an opportunity to do some some podcasting we get a chance to talk with people who have made deep impacts on our lives that we've never really met before and there's there's, it's, it's sort of an interesting dynamic. And, you know, our guest today, Dr. Richard Foster, uh, who, who was like, just call mm. me Richard, which is so strange to call yeah. someone who's been that influential in your life by their first name. Or I felt like saying maybe the honorable, but um, yeah. <laughs> what's, I mean, what is that like for you, Bob? I've got some thoughts on it, but what's that been like for you? Oh, man. I think I read. The celebration of discipline, uh, sometime in the the mid nineties, maybe, um, and of course the prayer book, uh, freedom of simplicity. I, I mean these these books have been so uh, both formational and foundational, my thinking and to the way that I think about things like prayer and spiritual formation so to actually get a chance to to talk with somebody in 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 some ways it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a double-edged sword you know they say never meet your heroes and not because richard foster in real life is a letdown but just because you know no one ever kind of embodies the image you have of them you know uh, especially someone that's, that's gotten a little bit older, you know, and I remember, uh, seeing Dallas Willard at the Ecclesia National Gathering, you know, and it's like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't float. Uh, he doesn't, <laughs> mm. there, there isn't a halo. Mm. Like he was so awesome. And yet it's like inevitably in real life. So it was an honor to talk to him, I think. And yeah. it's the kind of thing where you wish we could actually get him for a lot longer and get beyond kind of the, the surface level stuff. But yeah. How about for you? Uh, have you read his books? Has he had an impact on you? Oh my gosh. Uh, it was 2004. Our, 
the church, sorry, 2003, our church that I was working at went from a really unhealthy, uh, it was just really, really unhealthy to a guy that came in, uh, Dave Sharp, who's been on our podcast before. And the first book that he had us read as a staff was Celebration of Discipline. And I went from being a kid who was really cutting my teeth with leadership and ideas around like put on a good show mm-hmm. and a lot of, um, yeah. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta bring people in with the, like a lot of the attractional model stuff to reading this book. And, and I would, I mean, it's, it was pivotal in my formation and that yeah. started the language of spiritual formation in my, in, in my life. And it just, it was, it, I mean, it was the on-ramp to my life moving in a much, much deeper direction. And when I found out the book was as old as it was, I was shocked um, because I've just never yeah. heard. I, I mean, in all my years of growing up in the church, I never heard people talk about that deep internal life with God. Um, mm. And so it was just, yeah, really powerful. And then prayer became a, bi- a, a book that I still, still <laughs> dive into the waters mm-hmm. of, you know, um, Streams of Living Water, another one. We read that as a staff too, is kind of a follow up. And so those, I mean, I've, I, I think it's been, there was probably about a 10 year period where I would read Celebration every single year in January because I just wanted to continue to, mm. to get in those waters. And, and um, yeah, it was interesting to read that book while working on, a, on the staff of a mega church and to be thinking through mm. these practices of simplicity and rest and, um, you know, all of that. So it was just, yeah, it was a gift, real gift. But kind of similarly, I just, Bob, I just wish we could have sat and just had an hour and a half of just tell us stories. I mean, just tell us stories of yeah. life and ministry. And I mean, some of the stories that he shared really have stuck with me since, since, since I've heard them, but it was just really a gift. And I, I feel the same way. It's, it's kind of like, there have been sometimes no guests that we've ever had on this podcast, but there have been other times when I've met people that I've really looked up to and sort of walked away a little disappointed. Like, oh, that guy, you know, that guy's kind of a jerk or, you know, she's a little conceited or, you know, like there's those moments of, yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, I think what's interesting is that's also just a reminder of celebrity culture is, is not, that's not the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I really You're appreciated. Right. That's what I appreciated about, um, yeah, just about that conversation with Richard. I just felt like we had a chance mm. to hang out with a, with a fellow saint who's been, you know, who wrote mm-hmm. an incredible book on humility and we're just learning and, and he's, and we're learning as he is still learning too, which was such a gift. So yeah, I, I, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited that we get a chance to share this interview with, uh, with our, with our, with our listeners. guest today really needs no introduction, but just for those who may not know, Dr. Richard J. Foster is the founder of Renovari. He is the author of several books, including Streams of Living Water, Prayer, Freedom of Simplicity, Sanctuary of the Soul, and Celebration of Discipline, which has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He is the co-author with Gail Beebe of his latest book, Longing for God. He and his wife, Carolyn, make their home near Denver, Colorado. Richard and Brenda, welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, We'd love to just hear a bit of your story. So can you share with us, our listeners, uh, who you are and um, 
what what following God looks like for the two of you. Brenda, why don't you go first? Oh, thank you. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Good morning to all the pastors this morning. I love this podcast and the fact that this is ministering to pastors on Mondays because that's a great day and it's it's a needed time of the week. So hello, good morning. Um, I'll just be really brief. Um, I have been on staff at my church as the pastor of spiritual formation since 2014. And prior to that, I spent over 20 years doing writing and editing. And that was how I became acquainted with Richard and was living out in LA, working for World Vision, doing writing and editing for them. And Richard came and spoke several times at our chapels at World Vision. And um, I just started realizing that I had such a deep affinity for spiritual formation and for everything Richard was writing about at the time. And so um, his organization, Renovari, happened to relocate to the Denver area the same summer that I moved back to Denver, which is where I'm from. And I went to the Renovari offices and started becoming acquainted with the the small staff they had there. And um, that was just the beginning of a a long partnership with Renovari in different ways. I've gotten to write for the Spiritual Formation Bible, which is called the Life with God Bible, and um, do other projects with Renovari. It's been wonderful. So we've become good friends over the years. Good. Well, let me just say the first church that I ever pastored would rank as a marginal failure on the ecclesiastical scoreboards. I mean, it was awful. The conservatives, they were mad at the liberals. The liberals, they were mad at the radicals. And the radicals, God bless them, they were just mad. (laughs) I think half that congregation had the gift of discouragement. And then I pastored what the church growth analysts call a large church. It was a kind of place where things seemed to go right no matter what I did. Uh, I might enter the pulpit uh, in the slew of despond and and come out uh, like I was living on Mount Sinai. I mean, I was just carried along by this congregation. So, you know, I just wanted you to know that... I've experienced something of both the agony and the ecstasy of pastoral work. And you're right, Monday, oh man, I would be down in the dumps. Uh, I remember one time on our pastoral team, we had a team of a dozen of us, I guess, And uh, we would meet Tuesday mornings. And the first thing we always did was evaluate how we did. And uh, after one time I'd preached on Tuesday, I shared with the group, I said, you know, I really laid an egg Sunday. Of course, I wanted them to come to my aid and say, oh, no, no, no. No, they all of them, all 12 of them said, you're right, you did. It was a disaster. (laughs) But, you know, uh, here was a congregation that found ways to love me. I remember in the hospital with a little Davy, little boy. He had Down syndrome. And uh, I remember one time all night long, I was with 
Davy's mom and dad to see whether Davy would either live or die. Another time all day in the hospital. Uh, Davy was in that hospital for six months, and I'd go visit him. And there was something of a bond. He had a tubes coming out his head to drain fluid. There was a bond that was built between us. And uh, when Davy got out of the hospital, I remember uh, the first time I saw him, it was in a social hall area, maybe two or 300 folks. And, and I saw Davy come down the steps and we just made a beeline right for each other. Uh, he, he couldn't pronounce my name correctly. He called me Mythafotha. But Davy, uh, no children's church for him. Uh, Davy would perch up in that pew, and I'd, I'd preach my heart out. Now, I don't know if Davy could understand or anything I said, but I'd preach because Davy was listening. So, you know, there's these wonderful experiences. They said Davy would only live another year or two, but uh, he defied all those odds. Davy lived into his 20s, I believe. Hmm. He actually outlived his mother. So hmm. those are wonderful experiences. Those are fantastic. Thank you so much for those stories and even just the context. So I, I'd like to ask you guys, I mean, you've both been, you know, you, Brenda, you, you are currently serving on a church staff. Richard, you are pastoring pastors and pastoring others, and you, you were a pastor at churches for many years. Um, what, what, what many, did Monday... many years, many years, way before any of you were born. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did the, what lies were you all tempted to believe on Monday morning? Well, you know, that you're just an absolute failure. Why are you in this business? And it it doesn't have to be much. Just a comment that you, you know, the way you misquoted or did something. And uh, it's like the whole world comes crashing in. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brenda? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Monday's the quieter day. And so I think, I don't know, I think the enemy just knows that's the time to get in and and start trying to wreak havoc inside of us, you know, because that's when we have time to sit and think and reflect and um, quiet down from the prior weeks, all the, all the busyness and all the people and <clears throat> all the to-dos. And yeah, I, I think it's... Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's a time where we, if we have any weaknesses, that's when they're, they're going to get played on, you know, mm. on, is on Mondays. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes another, another thing that happens to me is I, I'll go crazy on Monday trying to remember, you know, of the 18 people that needed things from me on Sunday and all came to me during the two hours that I was, you know, at the service who said what and what did they need and what did I promise? And do I have it all straight? And am I going to remember it all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys have written a, a new book called learning humility, a year of searching for a vanishing virtue. 
Can you tell us uh, a little bit about how this book came to be and, and uh, what was the journey to, to making a decision to write this? Well, in the beginning, I wasn't intending to write a book. Hmm. I was uh, just looking at the contrast, how all through the Christian centuries, the great thinkers valued humility so highly. And yet in our day, it's, uh, it's not thought much of. In fact, it's usually for the most part ignored. Uh, and uh, we've tended to value other things. Uh, and I watched that culturally. And so I just asked, why? Why is this that our culture, our day, our time, gives such little value to a most fundamental virtue in the spiritual life? So I just, uh, actually, I felt the Lord just say to me, learn humility. Just those two words. Learn humility. So. I thought, well, I'll just uh, maybe keep a little journal. I'm not very good at writing journals. I have probably a dozen over there in those bookshelves that are half written and discarded. <laughs> but I decided I'll do that. And as I'm doing that, I began to grow and learn. And, and this process went on for quite a while. And I, and, and I, I mean, I was doing three kind of things. One was a sort of journal writing. The other was a kind of stream of consciousness. I mean, I just wrote about whatever. And, and I didn't know if it could be helpful to anybody. I mean, I began to think maybe this is something that we should share with others. So about four or five people, I asked if they could uh, take a look from month to month as I wrote and give me any thoughts about it. And Brenda was one of those. And Brenda would write back these wonderful comments, uh, not wonderful in the sense that, that what I wrote was wonderful, but in terms of helping me think through the issues more. So, that conversation kept going for quite a time. And uh, so in time, I said, Brenda, uh, I think we're, this is going to be a book. And uh, gosh, we're going to have to, you know, do a podcast or two. Would you, would you help me? Because, uh, you know, I'm way up in years and uh, uh I need somebody when I stumble around to come to my rescue. <laughs> Plus, Brenda has a wonderful pastoral sense. And so uh, that's why we're together doing these podcasts. Sure. sure. So one of the premises is that humility is essential to a moral life. That's and right. That all other virtues flow from it. Could Could you say some more about that? Tell us what what you guys meant when you wrote that. Let me just be real clear, real quick. I didn't write any of this book. 
This is yes. Richard's. Yeah, this is Richard's book. I just want everyone to make sure they know that we're, yeah. we're not co-authors on the book. He wrote. The I was book wondering because I didn't see your did, name, and I was yeah. I was a little confused. But and he doesn't truly need anyone else helping him on these podcasts. He does a wonderful job. But um, who can turn down Richard when he asks you, know, you come come <laughs> and join it. and give so. us a pastoral perspective. So, Doug, make a note, and uh, as we ask the questions, we'll try to be more specific. I apologize. That's okay. I just don't want any any confusion. This this is completely Richard's book, and I'm really excited to just yes be helping to share about it with him. Understood. <laughs> Got it. So, what what I ask the question again? Uh, so, um, can I call you Dr. Foster? I I I feel badly trying to call you Richard. That just doesn't sit well. <laughs> I, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with Richard, but okay. if you, I, uh, I will do I, my best. But I do, I, I, you'll need to genuflect and. Uh... <laughs> now, what was your book about again? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we yeah. can put this in the blooper reel. I well, I, I, I'm so, sure this past year I've doubled my humility and I'm very proud of it. Yes. <laughs> another question I had later. Well, uh, Richard, you say in this book that humility is essential for a moral life and that all other right. virtues flow from it. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about that, yeah. about what you meant it, by that. See, all the writers saw it as the basis, the foundational virtue. Uh, Thomas Aquinas called it the queen of the virtues. Hmm. And it's, it, it's so understandable. How do we learn anything? It's by a posture of humility that says, I don't know everything. And uh, I can grow in some areas. And it's, it's quite a wonderful thing. I used to teach at university. And uh, oh, my goodness. It's it just so interesting to watch professors with their arrogance, and uh, and they themselves cannot learn until there's a kind of basic humility about them, and that's true actually about anything, mm. auto mechanics or whatever, I must come as a learner, and that takes humility. Mm. That is. Now, uh, humility really means humus, grounded on the earth. Mm. It is. Uh, it was uh, in the cloud of unknowing where that author, whom we don't know who it is, uh, said that uh, it uh, humility is basically really understanding who we are. That is, we, we're not making exaggerated claims about ourselves, nor debasing ourselves. We just have a, a basic earthiness about ourselves. We know where we belong, who we are, and that's humility. And that's why it's the foundation, because all the other virtues can grow out of that. And without it, well, <laughs> that's why it's the foundation of the moral life. 
Does that make sense? It does. It does. It's, it sounds uh, like uh, conceptually humility and teachability go hand in hand in the way that you're thinking exactly. about it. You've got it. That's yeah. exactly the right. I've, teachability I've, is all virtually a synonym hmm. for humility. Yeah, and I don't think many people really think of it that way. I mean, I, when you when you begin to think more deeply about it, yes, it, it there's a connection, but we often see those as two separate things. I've I've often said pastors can lose just about anything. They can they can lose their um, their uh, their eloquence. They can lose their even their integrity and still come back from it. But if they lose teachability, there's no coming back from that because there's no path back. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure Brenda, you've seen that in a pastoral setting, how, how easily people can lose if they lose humility. Mm -hmm. It's all over. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's, something that because of the culture we live in, even pastors struggle with, I think, keeping it in the forefront and keeping it as a a virtue or a, a, you know, a a character quality that they seek and seek to keep growing in and keep staying committed to just because we, we don't live in a culture. And and I think pastors, we're all, we're all human and, and we're as much affected by the culture as anyone else is. Here's a lovely statement from C.S. Lewis about humility. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble person, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarthy person who was always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will because you feel a little envious that anyone who seems to, for anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. (laughs) I mean, Lewis was able to, in in a few words, encapsulate both humility and its opposite, of course, pride. Yeah, and and in a sense, it's almost as though... uh, the the opposite of pride might actually be well not the opposite but uh, a companion the flip side of the coin to pride is low self-esteem and humility mm-hmm. just isn't even on that continuum that's so right it's it's a different thing altogether because both pride and self low self-esteem are focused on on me myself that's exactly <laughs> right either how good i am or how how bad I am, or how how important I am, how insignificant I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think I think you really touched on something that's that's really unique um, because we do live in an age where it seems like the church uh, and the people that cover the church tell the stories um, 
that are stories of false humility that usually end in tragedy or scandal or stories of, you know, prideful people that end in tragedy and scandal. Mm. And I think what's so fascinating is, is yeah, just like with Lewis's quote, you're really going to come in contact with these people who are practicing this virtue and never know it. Right. Like there's just that space of being a a, a genuinely humble person. Mm -hmm. And so like, even as, even as you're thinking about, um, you know, the pastoral calling and, and just living in, in a world where what we swim in is, is not, uh, we don't, not a lot of humble heroes. Um, how would you encourage pastors uh, mm-hmm. and leaders to begin to pursue this virtue? Brenda, you want to start? Well, I, I think it's how you started the book off, Richard. I think it's um, it's being Christ-like. You know, I think that's that's another synonym for humil- humility, right? Is being mm-hmm. Christ-like. And it, the more the more we're spending time with Jesus, the more we're in the word and soaking in his word, it, it comes out everywhere in, in the word, right. In scripture, um, whether it uses the word humility or not, it, you know, it's everywhere and looking at Jesus character and, um, seeking to let his life be real and living inside of us, seeking to let the Holy spirit have his way in us that humility is going to be a giant part of that. It, I don't even think we need to seek humility. I think it's just seeking Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. And I would say, begin to find another human being that you can serve. If you, I mean, this may be a person in your own family, and you find ways to serve that person. Just doing things washing the dishes, mowing the lawn, whatever it is, and uh, you serve them. And that takes the focus away from your stuff to valuing. That is an honest conversation with another person about what they care about. Uh, will begin to lead you in the way of humility. Mm -hmm. And of course, in the pastoral setting, my goodness, we get uh, so many opportunities, don't we? Think of, uh, I remember the story of the Russian uh, spiritual director who was working with a lady in talking with her often when he'd come to visit about her turkeys. And uh, he got criticized for this. And, uh, you know, why don't you give attention to spiritual matters? And he said, don't you understand? This lady's whole life is in those turkeys. Mm. And uh, I was just talking with uh, a lady, actually, it's our accountant, and uh, she has horses. And her life, her whole life is in those horses. And uh, what do I know about horses? <laughs> Virtually nothing. But uh, just listening to her and learning, and on her office wall, you see these 
photographs of horses. And uh, so I asked questions. And, uh, and it was a delightful time. I learned a little bit about horses. And I think she enjoyed telling me. <laughs> and I that think was that, not much, that was not much about our finances, but it was a good discussion. <laughs> that's okay. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I really appreciated about the way that you wrote the book, Richard, is because it just seemed like as you were talking about tending the fire or going for a walk or being too tired to go for a walk or um, <laughs> looking at looking at the, atro the atrocity at Wounded Knee or all these different things that you're noticing, it just feels like, and, and Brenda, I'm sure you'd agree, like that, that there's this life with God that God is in is is that He is inviting us in every area of our life to be present, and I think like even just as I'm listening to this conversation, I feel like that's kind of the gift of humility. Is you know you sort of end up in this humble space, but what you realize you've been just saying yes to God's invitations all along. Um, but I I was yeah. really curious in how you framed this book and you overlaid it with the Lakota Moon Calendar. Um, yeah. And so for some of us, we've never heard that phrase or even knew that there was a moon calendar. Some of us may not even know that there's a moon um, like that's possible, <laughs> too. Um, but tell us about, you know, how that came and what you noticed as you entered into a different rhythm. It was actually completely accidental in a sense. I just if I was going to write a journal. I thought, well, uh, you know, January, February, March seems kind of bland. Why don't I get a little more interesting calendar? And I looked at a dozen or so different calendars, and I have a little bit of Native American background, a grandmother that I never met. She died before I was born, but uh, she was Ojibwa. Uh, People today say Chippewa. Um, anyway, um, but I was especially taken by the Lakota calendar. Uh, there was something about it that seemed very, uh, I don't know, interesting. So I used that. And I wanted to grow in my own understanding of L Lakota culture. So I began reading uh, some books. There's a wonderful book called The Lakota Way, which is based on the 12 Lakota virtues. The first one is humility. I, I was astonished. Uh, and Lakota culture is an oral culture. So um, this book, the author just told stories, basically. And uh, so it was a delight. I found that a very interesting, I mean, old stories of the ancients and what his grandparents told him and so on. And so that's how it all began. <laughs> uh, but it, it, to me, it fit very well. It, I don't know it, if it, it, uh, <laughs> others will find that to be the case, but... Well, it I think it was it was neat because it reminded me of the first time I came in contact with the church calendar year. I, I grew up in uh, in a community that didn't celebrate 
Advent or Epiphany or Lent or, you know, Eastertide or, you know. Um, right, right. And so it, it just felt like one of those times and spaces, well, especially as someone who I, I spend a lot of time outdoor and I was really, I loved the uh, the one month that said uh, when the when the ducks come back, because I, I, I look right. for that every year, you kind of know like, all right, spring's right around the corner, the ducks are flying back. And I just, I appreciated how grounded in what's happening outdoors really, uh, really came alive in that. So yeah, thank you. I, I thought that was, yeah. that was really just a, a unique thing. And, and Brenda, as you think about, um, you know, a lot of the concept around humility, uh, what are some practices that, that, that you all are, are dipping into or thinking through in terms of your church and, and, and how we can begin to help people, um, yeah, just practically become more Christ-like? I really think it starts with the spiritual disciplines, you know, um, and sorry, if you're hearing a dog, there's a dog in the hallway. <laughs> I'm at my church right now and somebody just brought a dog and it's yelping in the hallway. Um, yeah, we, we were just talking in one of my classes a couple Sundays ago about the importance of the spiritual disciplines because we're doing a shortened version of spiritual formation. We are talking about Bible reading and prayer and um, just, just the, the, the very fact of just talking about it together for about an hour and a half during our class ended up causing all kinds of inspiration and just people feeling led by the Holy spirit to change things in their lives and, um, start getting more faithful with their scripture reading and prayer and, um, doing that because God was prompting them to reach out to some people in their lives that they knew needed help in different ways. And that that was going to just lay a foundation for everything else God wanted them to do. And if they didn't, if they weren't obedient in that way, um, they weren't going to be able to fulfill what God was calling them to in their life. So um, I really think it, it it's there's nothing really out out of the norm and crazy about pursuing these things. I think it's just getting back to some of the basics, but really being faithful with it. And sometimes it's clearing out some of the busyness in our lives that are crowding out doing those things. Right. And you remember <clears throat> the old writers always encouraged us to read two books, the Bible and the book of nature. And Doug, you emphasized the ducks coming back. Have you ever watched a duck? I mean, they are, do they have any purpose? I mean, they just waddle around. There they are. And yet they're one of these magnificent creations of God. These mallards, uh, so beautiful. Even the, even the females who, you know, don't have the bright colors, but my goodness, they're Wonderful, wonderful animals with seemingly no purpose at all but to swim around and <laughs> honk a little bit. <laughs> but but just to watch, uh, there was a, an early conservationist named John Muir and uh, some of the early uh, Yosemite and other places. Anyway, John Muir said, uh, I'll spend a day and uh, come across a new plant 
or a flower. And I will stop and get acquainted uh, and stay there for an hour or a day <laughs> to see what it might teach me. Mm. He climbed up in uh, these great uh, sequoia trees and tied himself up there in a snowstorm to see what the tree experienced. <laughs> I, I, that's a little too much for me, but anyway, <laughs> he was a great, uh, great one. Yeah, there's something about how we how we pay attention to what's happening around us that I think really gets at even to what you're saying, Brenda. With it's you know, there's not a lot of tricks or shortcuts to a spiritually formed life. It's just, it really is just listening and being obedient. And it's just the things that have been handed down year after year after year, generation after generation of, you know, reading scripture, prayer, you know, fasting, solitude. I mean, I, I remember I was a 20, 22 year old pastor when our senior pastor at the time gave me this book called The Celebration of Discipline. And that was the first time. <laughs> I came across some of these ideas around like a spiritually formed life. And, and then we, we just went on to continue to, to think through what does it look like to, to do that? And it captured my heart because all of a sudden I realized like, wow, it's not just about a bunch of activity, but the Lord really loves me and wants to be present in me. And that these things have great ways of working out uh, new life and new growth in my own soul. And so, yeah, it's interesting because like, I, and, and, and the, one of the, you know, we do this podcast to encourage pastors, but, um, you know, many pastors are going to be listening to this on a Monday, you know, and uh -huh, if uh -huh. things went great on Sunday, they're going to be feeling super good, um, especially about themselves, the words that they had. Um, <laughs> and, you know, what would you say to them? But also for those whom things did not go well. Uh, they might be feeling down or discouraged, or they might their self esteem may be really low. What what would you say to them too? I I know what to say to folks that are discouraged. I'm not sure that I have very many experiences of the other. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we need a kind of equant. Balance in all of this, because, uh, well, the way, Bob, you said that uh, you can come back from a lot of things, uh, but not humility. I mean, if you lack humility, it's you don't come back. Um, because the people in a general sense, I mean, I watched this with Brenda. I've been to church and watched her ability with people. The people love you and they want the best for you. Uh, I mentioned the story early on of Davy. Davy's parents became, you know, my uh, cheerleaders in a sense. I mean, I'd spend all night with them watching in the hospital. Well, they understood if next Sunday the sermon wasn't the brightest thing in the world, you know, because uh, they they knew. And and it's okay. You can you can have a 
a situation where you didn't do so well. See, it isn't a matter of performing. It's a matter of speaking to the heart condition so that people can grow in grace. Remember Peter's little word? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to learn. See, Doug, you were learning a little bit about uh, solitude. Um, see, solitude is one of the deepest disciplines because one of the things it does, I mean, see, you go away. Oh, at the first church that I was pastoring, <laughs> uh, I felt that I needed to learn about God. And our elders felt the same. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we set up a little pattern that I would take a retreat, and I just followed the year, uh, fall, winter, spring, summer. A little retreat, a few days, and I would, I don't remember now, maybe Tuesday to Thursday, but I would be there on Sunday, but I would not preach. We would make other arrangements. Someone else would preach. Um, now, one of the things I learned in solitude, because the, the first feeling you have is, oh, my. Uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the church? Everything's going to fall apart. And what you find out is that things go quite well without you. <laughs> and uh, and that, see, once we realize that we are not the CEO of the universe, mm -hmm. then... Uh, we can release others to do their ministry and their work. And uh, so what was your question? I well, so, so whether the pastor is feeling good this, this Monday because Sunday went great or oh. feeling poorly because Sunday didn't go great, the message is the same. It's not about you. That's right. And, and that's the path to humility. That's exactly, Bob, you spoke it so well. Yeah. Yeah. It, ju it just isn't about us. It is about the work of God in the life of a congregation. And uh, that's why visiting people where they live is so helpful. I remember going, uh, this one fellow, bright, bright guy, PhD, and uh, he worked at a research institute. And I said, I'd sure like to just see you in your digs at work. And he made arrangements. I mean, it was a little, I had to get through a few jump through a few oops, but when I got to him and we just were able to sit and visit, and it was especially difficult time because he had just figured out that day 
that the research he was doing was going to uh, the military-industrial complex, and that was a tough thing for him to realize and learn. And you just sit with them. I didn't try to solve his problem. I mean, he'd given half of his life to get to that position. And uh, he was wondering if he should stay there. And I sat with him in that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we learn to do in pastoral work, is to be with people. We don't have to solve their problems. We just be with them. The first funeral that I ever performed was for my brother's son, my older brother, 16-year-old young man that killed him, that uh, ran into a, a telephone pole or something speeding. And uh, I learned it about four in the morning. And uh, I just, what do you say? You don't worry about what you say. You just go. And you be with him. And I was with him and his wife uh, and sat with them. Yeah, that's what we learned to do. Be with people. Well, that is very well said. And I think that on a day like today, my hope is that pastors have people that they that will just be with them in this too. Uh -huh. But Richard, uh -huh. would you leave us with the benediction today? Oh, I'd love to. First, just thank you, Lord, for every person who has been listening today. Some as Bob mentioned, very discouraged. Others uh, uh, running high. But for both, may there be a deep sense that the power of the Lord is over all that you do. And you can rest centered in that life that the grace of God is will take over all that you do. So go now in his strength, in his love, and in his life. Oh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>